welcome to this emergency podcast. It's an emergency because the Tony train is coming and everybody's jumping from Stockholm down to Sydney. That's the end of my lyricist <laughs> career. It's better than I even hoped. <laughs> but no, seriously, the Matildas have a new coach. It's a super exciting time. We've said it before. It's a really exciting time for women's football in this country. And now it's just gone to another level. Now that we have a coach, Tony Gustafsson has been appointed. He will formally commence on the 1st of January 2021. But we have a new coach for the next four years for these next four big tournaments. It's a massive deal. It's super exciting. And that's why we're going to talk about it. So let's crack into it. Harrow, what impresses you the most about Tony? Uh, Marissa, I'm absolutely buzzing about this appointment. Um, fresh off the filing train, Sam and I tuned into the press conference or got involved in the press conference tonight. And he is just super impressive, Tony Gustavs. And I think we've all had high expectations from the moment he was sort of rumoured as a candidate. We've all been excited once we knew he was getting appointed. And I uh, just next level excitement now. Um, as Sam said on Twitter, it's kind of like World Cup um, announcement night all over again. Um, yeah, he's super impressive as a, a coach in terms of his CV. Obviously worked with the US women's national team, won Olympic gold, and then on his second stint won consecutive World Cups. So he's got the CV in terms of that. He's worked in the men's game, in the women's game, as a head coach, as an assistant. It just seems like the right step for him. And that's what he said in his presser tonight. This was the right time. This is a once-in-a-lifetime job. He understands the brevity of it. Uh, he's excited to work with these players. And I think what excited me most of all was he could see the areas for improvement. He could see where we could take this team. And above all, I think the crowning line was, yeah, he thinks he can win that World Cup on home soil. And that's what you want. This team needs ambition. It needs drive. It needs someone that wants to take them to the next level. And by the looks of things, they found that guy and he's going to be in charge for four years. How good. <laughs> <laughs> this whole podcast is just going to be how good. This is the emergency pod of just how good is Tony. Yeah. Oh, you love to see it just to round out the other catchphrases <laughs> of ours. I was going to say, Sam, same question. What are you most excited about with Tony's appointment? Yeah, like bouncing off what Harris said, that was an incredibly impressive first press conference from a head coach. Um, I think there were probably a couple of people who looked at his CV and looked at um, the sort of biographical details that had been reported on him and perhaps had a couple of questions. Um, the fact that, for example, he wasn't familiar with the Australian talent pool, um, that he doesn't necessarily have a sort of a huge background um, when it comes to women's club football, you know, he, he sort of coached in, um, in Sweden for two seasons, but that was about it. But all of the questions that he was asked, I mean, f personally for me, he answered every question that I had and he answered it convincingly. And, but the thing that impressed me the most, I think, wasn't just how successful he's been and how ambitious he is but he speaks like he believes in what he's doing and what this team can be and what they can do. And that was so palpable in that press conference. It feels like everyone who was there, every journalist who asked him a question was like getting on side, basically hashtag get on side with Tony. And I felt myself doing that as well. I was like, I believe in this person. The energy that he has is 
it's contagious. And I like I got so I was so buzzed after that press conference that like it was just sort of an injection of energy into the community. The kind exactly like Harris said, like what we had when we won the bid. So I'm just so excited by not just what he can obviously bring on the pitch. He's tactically incredibly bright. He's really forward thinking. He seems to have a really good understanding of his own philosophy, his own style. But I, I, I'm just so excited about what he can do off the field and the energy and the enthusiasm and the belief that he can bring to the team, to the staff and to the community. That's the thing that excites me the most. And Angela, what are you most keen to see from Tony? I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of emotions to process. I feel like everyone's buzzing. And I also feel for all the people who like sort of probably knew most of today and were just like, everyone else is going to know and they're going to be as excited as I am. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I think something that really stood out for me in the press conference was him talking about um, his approach to bringing out the best in players um I I think a lot of people sort of suspected that it might be his approach already um for example in we watched a short tactical video and I um love the way that he talked about Rose Lavelle there was a lot of belief in her as a player and so it's going to be really exciting to see him bring that to our group of Tillies and to see um him yeah basically making the most of that group of players and he also brought up Um, making sure to build a culture around where everyone feels important and everyone feels included. And I feel like it seems like a pretty obvious um, facet to a really good culture around any team, whether that's like a community side or whether it's at the the Tillies. But it was so lovely to hear that, um, you know, off the bat um, from the new head coach. So, yeah, I'm just very soft at heart. So I was like, everyone's included but and I guess maybe sometimes that's uh, some used against the women's game in certain contexts um or like used against women's sport but it's actually if you can do that right um you can get amazing results and I've always loved watching coaches who know how to nurture players perhaps those without who are lacking confidence and bring them back to where they can be and bring out the best in those people. So for me, that's a massive win in having this coach for for our Tillies. So yeah, I'm I'm buzzing as well. I'm on the Tony train. <laughs> the other thing you mentioned in that regard was about um, when he was talking about this. I guess golden generation of players was being able to bring other players into the talent pool and uh, expanding that talent pool, which is something that the US obviously does really well with its its broad scope of talent, but Something I uh, loved hearing and talk about, I actually wrote about it for, for AAP, my follow-up story was where he could draw on his experience from the US. Like he got asked about the fight and the spirit and the belief of the Matildas and he said that's so important and you can't look at that as a negative, you look at it as a foundation. But then there's the add-ons that you need to get right and those are around things like game management and belief. So when you're not playing well, finding a way to win. When things don't necessarily go your way, having that belief that you can either close out a game or come back in a game or do what you have to do to win. And that's something that, to be honest, has defined the US. Like we love to make jokes about, you know, being a bit jammy here and pulling this result out there. But that's what champions teams do. They they find a way to win ugly. They get the job done when things aren't necessarily going well. And that ties into, I think, that culture, like you said, Angela, of players who maybe are lacking on confidence or don't have specific skills, sorry, specific skills can find a role that suits them 
and have that belief and I guess grind and work rate to find a way to get the job done and that was one thing that really excited me. Yeah, it's a good sort of a manifestation of never say die, right? Which is the which should be the the Matilda's hashtag. It should be the it should be everywhere that never say die hashtag. Like it's just it encapsulates so much of what this team has always been about. And as he was answering, you're right, Harry. He just seems to completely get it. He he understands that, and he he sort of he it it's it's within him in some sort of deep personality way, which is why I think he's such a good fit. But outside of that, <clears throat> the other thing that really impressed me was that he knows his own limitations in the sense that when he was asked about the like the, the sort of emerging player pool here in Australia, he fully recognised that he doesn't know and he wants to surround himself with people who do. That is so important to me. And, like, he didn't necessarily you know, name names, but we do know that we have a number of really important women who are currently working within FFA who have the the best high-level knowledge of Australian women's football and he wants to surround himself with them. And so that gives me hope in terms of the larger legacy project, I think, of this appointment, which James Johnson spoke about before the press conference, that, you know, Tony's appointment isn't just really for four years. He's coming in not just to nurture these players through the next four tournaments, but he's also here to nurture coaches. He's here to to mentor and train the people who are going to come after him and who are going to take the women's game into its next stage. So that's another thing that really excites me is that he's actually willing and able and enthusiastic to surround himself with people who know more than he does and he's okay to learn from them as well. That's so important, I think, in such a collegial um, sort of cooperative environment like the one that he wants to build. I love that, Sam. I love the line he said about talking about meeting with the staff for the first time and saying, essentially, without the staff, I'm nothing. I need you. We're a team. We need to work together. I need you behind me. And I think that's that's one way you get people on side pretty early. But also it does give you faith that he's trying to do the right thing. We know actually news-wise he will bring his own assistant, which I think every senior coach has the right to do um, to help you implement your style. But he does plan to first sort of embed himself in this culture and get to know the play, um, sorry, the players and the staff that he's going to be working with long-term. And he said he wants it to be a majority Australian team, which is really, really exciting. And I will just briefly mention the the video Angela said, the tactical one where he breaks down um, how the US went about, I guess, well, breaking down the Netherlands um, is super brilliant and a great insight into the way I think he goes about it. So we'll uh, definitely give that one a share. Not to not to take Marissa's thunder, but I'll back her in to, <laughs> to give that a vote. <laughs> I will be posting it on Twitter. You can rest assured. I've just been imagining Tony being like, Okay, so mpl.tv and like signing <laughs> up, like, you know, do, doing his research. That when he, he was talking about um, getting up to date with like the player pool here and the upcoming talent, that was my, my first visual <laughs> in my mind. Um, and yeah, also going back to what you said about never say die, Sam, and it being like the, the motto that we need everywhere. Okay, I just, while I have you on the record, there was a certain pact made about a tattoo in France that didn't come to fruition. All right? Oh my God! I feel like this is a good time to ask if you would enter in a pact with me once again to get something. So I think it was suck on that one. <laughs> Perhaps. 
so it was stuck on that one if we got through to the semis or the final. I can't. I think it was the semis. Yeah, it was the semis. Oh, aim high. Yeah, um, and so maybe never say die if we get to the grand final on a home, like in a World Cup on home soil. Absolutely. Yep. All right. I'm in. I'm in. Done. Great. Yeah. <laughs> I love this. This is so My mother good. does not love to hear this, though. Um, <laughs> but I also just going back to, like, for, like, you know, bringing people along for the ride, I just want to know how, like, how good is stability and knowing that there's, like, a plan mm, and there's, yes. oh, four years. It's such a, such a long time. And that's sort of scary in a way, but also knowing that you've got someone leading, the, is it a ship? It, not a car you don't lead a car anyway steering the shit the whole way that that's a different thing anyway just you know someone in charge for four years it's it's gonna be great I'm really really excited it is exciting that there is someone in charge at the helm and we can think long term because we helm. haven't been able to that's think <laughs> we haven't been able to think long term for a little while so I suppose that lends itself well to a question we got from friend of the pod Jeff he asks which if any of the tournaments in the planned tenure of Tony can afford to be experimental Harrow you had some thoughts on this one first of all shout out to Jeff hey I Jeff do, I, we do love Jeff friend of the pod I will continue to hunt him down he can never <laughs> sleep um <laughs> He knows what he did. <laughs> there is no escape. Um, that's not as sinister as it sounds. He's just wronged me. Uh, wronged me online uh, <laughs> through Photoshop. Anyway, on to Jeff's actual question, which was about which tournament can we really uh, afford to experiment in? For mine, there's one clear answer. It is the uh, 2022 Asian Cup. Prime reason being that as hosts in 2023, we don't actually need to use the Asian Cup as a qualifying tournament. Um, So we all remember the stress of uh, 2018 in Jordan and making sure we qualified for the World Cup and all that entailed. That's not something we have to worry about. We obviously still want to go out there, try and win silverware. But I think when you look at how condensed these tournaments are together, um, we go to the Olympics next year and then I think we've got to really look at it as an opportunity to see can these depth players that Tony said in his press conference he wants to bring through, he wants to build the talent pool, best way to do it, and it's the way the US have done it, is to get these players involved in competitive games. You're not going to know if they can handle handle it when the heat's on if you never actually put them under the heat. You can't just put them in you know, friendly series that we might have against New Zealand, for example, and expect that to deliver the same sort of outcome in terms of seeing where players are at compared to an actual tournament where ranking points and the like are on the line. The other thing is it, it gives us an opportunity if we have to rest players or manage them if they've got injuries because we don't have to stress about the qualification with the World Cup. You don't have to, say, push player X through a, through a, you know, a bit of a niggle or get them to back up game after game. You get the experience of testing out your team in um, tournaments and seeing what works and what doesn't. You still obviously want to play a lot of your best players, but you do have that flexibility. I think that's the clear standout tournament in terms of that because we want to win the World Cup and I think those two Olympics, you're going out there to try and obviously get silverware as well. So not that you're trying to do that with the Asian Cup, but I think given our position in Asia and the fact that we should realistically always be challenging for silverware, we should be trying to do that but with the players that are going to be tested on the periphery because as we saw at the last World Cup, Sometimes you're going to have to get down to those fringe players and you need to know before those tournaments whether they can cut it or not. 
Yep, absolutely, Harrow. <clears throat> and the Asian Cup, it's not just that we don't need to qualify, but I said it's perfectly timed in this four-year cycle because ultimately the goal should be 2023. And so having a tournament that's basically a year before, um, ensuring that we are using a number of fringe and youth players and, and testing them, seriously testing them in the fire and seeing if they can hold up, that means that when it comes to picking that 23-player squad in the following year, we actually know who can survive it. And, you know, the, the players who will perhaps be able to prove themselves at the Asian Cup will be a year older, a year more experienced, um, a year wiser, probably a year better. And that means, I think as well, that for the other players who are going to be in contention for 2023, they're probably going to have to feel that they need to step up in some ways as well. And so being able to manage the players, not just through their yearly calendars, but over the course of the four-year cycle, I think that's going to be really important as well. And sort of coupling that with their club commitments, things like that, um, <clears throat> we do have a number of players now who are in Europe who are going to be contesting a number of dis- different competitions at the same time. So being able to juggle all of those kinds of players and using windows and opportunities to blood uh, players who could possibly step up. I and mean, I've spoken in the past about in particular in positions where we don't have a lot of depth, such as the number six, we need to be using those opportunities to show what what's possible. I was going to say, say the line, Sam, say your name. I know you want to. <laughs> Let's just say that I'll be sending uh, the Sydney University versus uh, Northern Tigers semi-final this weekend to uh, Tony Gustafsson so that he can check out one Claire Wheeler. <laughs> four and four, Sam. You've got to start splitting that cash four ways at this point, I reckon. <laughs> we're giving you a platform for this big pumper energy. <laughs> I admire the consistency to the brand as someone with an equally strong brand. So that's a great segue for me to answer a particular question from Stephen. He asks, will Tony insist upon green shorts or will he opt to be a terrible, wretched failure? (laughs) And there's only been four episodes of this podcast, but you know the answer, dear friends. It's green shorts forever, yellow shorts for never. Thank you, next. Anyway, we did have other fun questions. So, Angela, I'll put this one to you. This one came from Richard. If Tony was an item from Ikea, what would he be? My response to that is Tony would not be an item from Ikea because he's just too good. You know, Ikea, Mm -hmm. you know, it's factory line, you know, home assembled furniture that does the job, but perhaps it's not. The, the top of the line and I feel like with Tony I know it's early days I'm not I'm not making a lot of assumptions here and we've got to wait it out and see the results but my suspicions are that Tony would not be if he was a piece of furniture he would not be from Ikea he'd probably be um what's is it artisanal or artisanal either way I shouldn't be saying that word I clearly don't own any furniture like that but <laughs> It's all it's all hard rubbish and um, Kmart in this house. But anyway, <laughs> you guys get what I'm saying. So there you go. Um, but if anyone would like to, you know, make a suggestion, if if Tony was a, a piece of furniture from IKEA, please be my guest. I I don't know what kind of piece of furniture he would be from IKEA, but 
if Ikea sold weighted anti-anxiety blankets, I feel like that's what Tony would be for me. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's what he is. That press conference, I cannot tell you how comforted I am to hear someone talk with authority, with belief, and with just a sense of confidence and passion about the thing that he's about to embark on. Uh, From all the turbulence that we've had in the Matildas over the last few years, all of the uncertainty, all of the flip-flopping, just everything sort of happening, it's, it's not really until you get someone who is the way that this person seems to be that you realize how much shit we've actually had to go through and how acclimatized to it we've become, you know, now we actually have someone very competent at the helm. We're like, Oh my God, who is this magical creature? It's like, it's amazing. So yeah, so he's, he's my anti-anxiety blanket at the moment. So thanks, Tony. Harrow, have you had a flick through the Ikea catalogue? Any thoughts? I haven't. I'm just stunned by those responses. (laughs) I just had to Google whether artisanal applies to furniture as well as cheese and pizza. Turns out it does. It's fine. I'm smart and I have a good vocabulary. No, you know what? You know what he. You know what he actually is more like is a is a trip to IKEA because you go there needing one specific thing and then you get absolutely everything you needed and more. <laughs> good answer. And then you come back and you're like. Where'd I get all this stuff? How'd I end up with all this stuff? God, it's all useful. I'm wrapped with this, especially the uh, the weighted blanket. <laughs> I was going to say, if I may bounce off the weighted blanket and just the kind of calming effect he seems to have on us just by virtue of being authoritative and in control of things, there were two quotes that I heard in the press conference that immediately struck me so the first was from James Johnson where he said he doesn't need training wheels Tony Gustafson does not need training wheels and that's why we've appointed him I was like yes he knows the landscape he knows women's football he's jumping straight in this is exactly the kind of person we want for this period of time the second quote that jumped out to me was that Tony Gustafson was basically raving about how much he likes pressure and he thinks he thrives in the pressure situation and I think obviously four tournaments, that's four tournaments, four years, that's lots of pressure. But when one of those tournaments is also the home World Cup, that adds a whole nother layer of pressure. And I think that that's something that we saw pressure can affect the Matildas. You know, 2019 is the prime example of that. They said that it didn't affect them, but they've now said, you know what, it was hard to navigate that and to deal with that. So if we've got someone leading them saying, no, nah, I love this stuff. I'm gonna make I'm gonna bring everyone else on board for the right. If, you know, we've got now someone at the helm saying, I like pressure and I'm gonna make everyone else, you know, enjoy this cooker pressure, enjoy that environment and learn to thrive in it. I think that's exactly what we need most specifically for the 2023 World Cup, because that is going to be pressure like the girls have never felt before. It's going to be from within the kind of football Uh, family but also from just the wider Australian public who perhaps have never given a second thought to the Matildas but because these games are on home soil they are all of a sudden going to care and they're going to expect the girls to do well. So that was what impressed me the most about his press conference but let's move right along. We had another question from friend of the pod Jeff and I thought it was a good one again. 
So, Anna, I'll, I'll give it to you again because you guys are best buds. Um, <laughs> how much? Send me the eyes emoji that way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so how much will, should Tony Gustavan adapt to the inherent qualities of the available players and to what extent will, should he enforce his own ideas and expect the players to conform? I think we've actually got this answer based on the press conference. He, um, he talks so much about the qualities that he loves in the players and maximising those qualities, getting the best out of them, working together to build on them. But he also was really interesting in terms of talking about his, his tactical plans and what he wants to see from the Matildas. Um, the big focus was on tempo, um, saying, you know, in today's football, the ball's moving faster than ever. You get less time on the ball. You get less time to pressure players who are on the ball. You've got to be quick. You've got to break down defences. You've got to move the ball side to side. And that's something he'll focus on in training sessions in particular. Um, I don't. I think the main thing is he's the sort of manager that will get the best out of his players. He knows what their capabilities are. He knows what their strengths are and how that can work into what he wants to do. But for me, the best thing about and the crucial part actually when answering this question is that he's got four years to implement this. There's no rush. You're not feeling like you're barely bedding down all your all your tactics and then almost out of the job, which is something that Anto Milicic would have had to deal with. Like he barely got any time in the team before the World Cup and then he didn't get too many sessions and then obviously he's finished up. But Tony will get the chance to implement what he wants to put in place. He'll get to see the best of these players, see who can work in certain roles, see who can be, I guess, manoeuvred into different positions, what works, what doesn't. And he's going to get major tournaments and the experience to test it out. Like, that's the thing. You get the chance to see who's going to work and what's going to work and get the feedback from the players and know that you've got a whole lot of time up your sleeve. It's really the perfect position. So kind of sitting on the fence a little bit there. Um, he doesn't strike me as a sort to just go in with a hard mandate. He wants to get the feedback from the players and see what works and see who he's dealing with. But he'll actually be able to do what he wants to do with this team. And he said that was so exciting. That was what made it a once-in-a-lifetime job, those big tournaments, those big opportunities. And to be honest, it's a really exciting uh, prospect. Yeah, and I think one of the the best examples perhaps of that um that balance, Harrow, that you point out between sort of impressing his own style but also allowing the qualities of the players to dictate that style is his experience with Rose Lavelle. We mentioned it earlier with the the, the tactics video that's on YouTube, um, which we'll link in on, on our Twitter. And in that video, he talks specifically about the role of, of, of Lavelle. Now, we know that she's extraordinary, but she has been in the US national team setup for a couple of years. And after they won the Women's World Cup, um, Lavelle told a Swedish football blog that working under and learning from Tony has basically changed her whole game. That he was um, he was so attentive to who she was and the the sort of qualities that she offered because she's not a really a traditional U.S. player when you think about it. You know, when you think about U.S. women's national team, they're very physical, very athletic, very strong. Lavelle's not like that. She's she's small. Um, she's not especially quick, but she's very technical and she's very smart. And Tony Gustafsson identified that and seemed to train her and coach her in ways that brought out those best qualities in who she was. And in that tactics video, you saw the way that he adjusted um, the rest of the team around her in order to bring out those qualities. 
And ultimately, in that final, it worked. She scored a goal against the Netherlands that helped win them the Women's World Cup. And so I think that's it's it's sort of a nice um, sort of anecdote that demonstrates perhaps the fact that he, while he does have a certain um, philosophy and a certain style, he's also not so regimented and so locked into that that he's unable to adapt to or be flexible with the actual talent he has at his disposal. And that's really exciting, I think, because it means that, like, you know, the players are going to be learning new things and he's going to be learning new things. And from all the, the sort of the energy of the press conference, it seems like he is open to that and he's willing to learn and he's willing to let the players um, at his disposal help him figure out his sort of his future direction in terms of his own philosophy of football. Which is which is great. Like you don't want someone coming in and slamming down the the cage and saying you play like this or you don't play at all. You know you want it to be an organic process and you want to be able to have some cooperation between the playing group and the coaching staff. And so that's another thing that's really exciting as well. His player management style seems to lend particularly well to this group of Matildas. And Angela actually brought it up in our group chat a little earlier today about kind of player management and the women's game. Did you want to elaborate on that one, Angela? Yeah. Um, when it, Whenever there's conversations around, I think for me, about managing women in football versus or the conversation around gender and coaching women, I often think of this quote that I came across in the book Beyond Bend It Like Beckham, um, which is by Timothy Graney. And this comes from um, former U.S. national team coach Tony DeChico, and he says, it takes subtlety to coach girls and humanity. To girls, the coach is a member of the team or not. They will choose their own hierarchy, their own leaders, and sometimes it's not the players a coach might expect based on his or her objective assessment. That's the first thing you have to figure out. Who have they chosen? You have to coach the team through the team, through their leaders. It's very humbling for a coach and I think it's been good for the game. We're now seeing that leadership style take hold everywhere and not just in soccer. I think that's what women's soccer has brought to the world of sports, emotional honesty. So I I really love that in the sense, I guess you can get bogged down in talking about the ins and outs of of gender and how that comes to be the case in sport and that sort of thing. But I do find that that approach is... Um, really interesting and something that Tony seems to already embody in terms of that that press conference and what he was saying there. And definitely, I think with this particular Matilda squad, we do already have leaders um, who have something to bring and who have insight to share. So that collaboration will be really exciting to watch moving forward. And finally, we're all really excited about Gustafsson and about what he's bringing or what we think he is bringing to the table, there obviously was the kind of two-horse race that was being reported between him and Carolina Marache, and some people I think will be disappointed that Marache didn't get the nod ahead of Tony. People will be disappointed that a woman wasn't appointed to this role, and it is disappointing because obviously we're all big advocates of more women in being involved in the game at every level, in every role, in every aspect. I suppose, Sam, what did you make of how do you look at the the gender discussion that now follows the Chile's head coaching position everywhere it goes? Yeah, look, it's I I'm I'm on both sides of the argument. Like I understand why people are disappointed that we didn't get a, a female head coach. Um, I think especially given moves that are happening in other nations when it comes to appointing women in those roles, 
Um, we might look a little bit behind the times. But I also think that, uh, you know, Australian women's football is in a pretty unique position at the moment. And given the lack um, of a, a really sort of robust uh, coach development pathway for women, we haven't really produced, I think, the kind of coach that we currently need to address the, the, the four years that are coming up. I don't think that that means that we never will. I think that the thing that the Matildas need at the moment is someone who has big tournament experience, which really none of our leading female coaches do. Um, and it needs someone who um, comes from the the kind of background that, that Tony comes from and offers the kind of skills and knowledge and experience that he has. So, I, you know, it is, it is disappointing. But, again, I, I think it's important that FFA went for the right candidate for now. Um, for the current playing group that we have and for our current circumstances. And I think that they've done that. All right. So that's the emergency portion of the pod. So we still have a bit of time to do the things you know and love here on the Fab Post pod. We have a birthday very, very soon. So happy birthday, Angela. <laughs> happy birthday, Angela. Happy birthday. Oh, thanks, guys. I thought that was going in a different direction, so I'm very pleased to come first in the news segment. I'm so sorry, listeners, that you could not see Angela's face of just absolute shock. She did a full-on quick take to the camera to see what the hell we were going on about. But, yes, happy birthday for Wednesday. We hope you have a wonderful day even though you are in lockdown. But now let's get to the real stuff, the good stuff. So let's do some you love to see it. Samantha, what did you love to see this weekend? I loved to see Hayley Rasso doing amazing things for Everton in the Women's Super League. You know, we've been talking so much about your Arsenals and your Chelsea's, but we're actually forgetting, I think, sometimes that there are some really good Australian players playing for some sort of mid to top mid table teams. And Hayley Rasso was responsible for knocking it, effectively responsible for knocking out Chelsea from uh, from the FA Cup and she had an absolutely blistering game for that for that side she assisted the second goal um, in the, their 2-1 win and I think the thing that I loved most about it was that it was a demonstration I think of the this sort of the larger worry that we've had with the FAWSL in particular we've, we've got this sort of huge gulf between the haves and the have-nots mm. there are actually a couple of teams who are capable of of you know grabbing some points and knocking some teams off those perches you know, because because they're good teams. They're, they they might not have the biggest names, the biggest superstars, but they're really good teams. You can tell that they're well coached. They work really well together. They have a game plan and they can execute it. And so that's going to be, I think, the really interesting thing about the rest of the season is how many of these other sort of mid-table teams look to the top three or top four. And, you know, now that, that Chelsea have sort of shown that they are vulnerable, um, are going to sort of go into those games with a similar sort of philosophy and similar approach. So, yeah, Hayley Rasso assisting uh, and knocking Chelsea out of a cup, a cup competition, you love to see it. Harrow, what did you love to see this weekend? Well, you absolutely love to see Ellie Carpenter scoring her first goal for Leon. Um, it wasn't just that she scored, it was also the way she did it. It was in a 2-1 victory over Bordeaux and it was the opening goal. What I loved about this goal was... Um, Carpenter as a fullback, you got to see all the little elements of her game that she's developed. Um, I think when she first came on the scene, it was just that engine and then whipping in crosses. And we know that she's worked so hard on those little 
intricacies to her game. And I think they're going to come out more and more at Leon. So with this goal, she's got the ball and she's just backed herself, basically cut straight through two defenders and tried to get the ball on. And then in a great, hilarious, unrelated to Carpenter moment, um, Amal Marjorie's uh, collided with the Bordeaux defender, uh, Delphine Chatelin. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong there. And uh, the ball's just spilled to Carpenter and she's absolutely put her foot through it. Um, smacked it home at the near post. Goalkeepers had no chance. Um, absolute belter of a, a first-time goal. And, um, yeah, they obviously went on to win the game. So, yeah, Ellie Carpenter scoring goals for Leon, showing off all the different things she's learned in her development at the age of 20. You love to see it. You love to see it. And you sound like you've been to France once with that pronunciation, <laughs> but we'll move on. Oh, I don't talk about it very that. often, Marissa. I just... <laughs> Did you get a French don't like to mention it. I had no idea. Don't like to talk about it. <laughs> no. Very quiet about that. No miracles here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Have, have I talked to you about the miracle of Montpellier? Can I interest you? <laughs> Can I interest you in that name? Uh, and, Angela, what did you love to see this weekend? Yeah, Marissa, this week, you know what I did not love to see? That, that Chelsea kit. I mean, they sort of oh, opened themselves up yeah. for some – some light bullying there. But anyway, but I did love to see um, Katie Ford's dummy in the Arsenal FA Cup quarterfinal. Um, There was like a ball in off the right-hand side of the box and Katie Ford just, you know, just ignored it, like did a cheeky little dummy. It was very smart and it went through to Lisa Evans who scored. So, yeah, really enjoyed watching that. You love to see it. You love to see it. I was worried you weren't going to say it then. And I suppose some final you love to see it. Jen McCormick won some silverware with Real Petit over the weekend. The Spanish League starts this upcoming weekend, but this was the Andalusian Cup. So even though she didn't get on the pitch, she's already bagging herself some silverware, which you love to see. And finally, M. Gilnick has scored another goal. It's her fifth goal in six games for Vitiso in Sweden. So you love to see it. There's love. There's lots of things to love all over Europe when it comes to these tillies. Now is time for some boot scootin', baby. Angela, what's getting a boot this week? Uh, it's a classic. The men's account tweeting about no football being on when their women's team was playing. This week it's Arsenal. Who knows who it will be next week? But come on, lads. It's 2020. Get it together. Giving that the boot. I'm not even. I don't even have the energy to be mad about it anymore. I'm like, oh yeah, that's a thing. That hap- that's still happening. Okay, all right. Sam, you had a little – it's not a fun boot. Uh, no, yeah, it's not a fun boot. It's – I mean, I guess we can sort of call it the moon boot. Uh, unfortunately, Casey Dumont has completely ruptured her Achilles. Uh, she did it while playing for the Blacktown Spartans in the New South Wales MPL. Um, it was awful. She went to push off um, from her back foot in order to go and, and collect a ball. Uh, she wasn't really under any pressure and her Achilles snapped um, and she went down in a heap. She was screaming and uh, it was confirmed today, which is Tuesday, um, that she's completely ruptured it. So she'll be likely in a moon boot uh, for a while and she won't be playing this W League season. So that's really, really disappointing. Um, but on behalf of the pod, we hope that Casey Dumont makes a full recovery. We loved watching her for Melbourne Victory last season. She was outstanding. Um, and so we hope that, that she's okay and that she stays healthy um, and for the rest of her career, I guess. 
Yeah, it's a real shame with Casey because we've been lucky. We've been able to give some how goods to players returning from long term injury. So it kind of sucks that we've now had to to put the shoe on the other foot. That was not intentional, but <laughs> yeah. but you know what I mean. Now having to see a, a really great player to have to suffer a really long term injury, you don't like to see it. But what we do like to see is some how goods. Anna, take us home. Share share some how goods with us. Both my how goods come from uh, the Chelsea Everton FA Cup quarterfinal. It's not Chelsea getting booted. I think Sam's already touched on that. First of all, Chelsea's preview. Okay, so give some context. Context: This FA Cup is from last season. So Chelsea, in their wisdom and their graphic design wonder, did a pre did a promotion for the game with a Back to the Future theme. We'll share it. We'll share it on the pod Twitter. Um, it's got all your your prime movers: Beth England, Emma Hayes, Ju Soyeon, Sam Kerr. Uh, Magdalena Eriksson, to name a few. Best bit is Pernille Harder at the back with Sunnies. You wouldn't know it was her unless you saw that Chelsea had tagged her. Um, it's just graphic design is my passion. Um, I love it. The other thing, so Chelsea's graphic design, how good. The other, maybe not such a how good for Sam Kerr, but certainly for those watching at home in the uh, late hours of uh, Sunday, Sam Kerr, getting on the break, runs into, of all people, the ref. Gets absolutely bowled over. (laughs) (laughs) Thankfully, she was okay. I think she limped for a second and then got up and carried on. But um, for those who just enjoy a little break-up in play, uh, brought by a bit of ref shenanigans, how good? How good. Sam, did you want to discuss a how good as well? Yes. I sort of coming nicely full circle, talking about new national team coaches and uh, how well they fit into cultures or how well they sort of produce cultures. Pia Sundhag, uh, who was the mentor of one Tony Gustafsson at one point, has joined Twitter. She is currently the coach of Brazil and she posts the most wholesome videos of their time in camp together, including one where she has created a song on guitar about about tactics, about something to do with with playing football and um, Suntag's approach to to the game. And she played it. She played it on Twitter, and she was great. And it was just it was just such a nice um, sort of a breezy demonstration of the the sort of the role that a coach can play in a in an environment like that and in a team like that. Um, and I think she's probably going to get on very well with Marta, who famously loves to play guitar. So, yeah, I mean, that, that was just lovely to see. Um, so, yeah, Pierce sometimes playing guitar on Twitter. How good? How good. All right. I think that is this emergency pod wrapped up. There's lots of things that we wanted to talk about this week, but obviously this takes precedence. So next week should be full of lots of chat We recommend you tune in because it's going to be great. You can find us on Spotify, on Apple, on Google. Leave your likes, leave your reviews. Keep sending your questions to us. We're at the Far Post Pod on Twitter. And we can't wait to talk more football with you. So see you then.